1: Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review, with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 172, recorded June 28th, 2014. So we continue the 90s, I think this is our
0: 97th 90s episode, and we're doing a Starfleet Academy,
1: 7 through 9. Right. So, uh, the whole changeling issue is is still going on. Right. And... Not to give away too many spoilers, but
0: the start of the telepathy war that I had alluded to earlier.
1: Exactly. And I'm not going to give anything away either, but I will say that after reading um, these three issues, the telepathy war or telepathic war or whatever the right name of it is, is turning out to be totally what I wasn't expecting. When you said that, I I had one thing immediately in mind, and what it's turning out to be is totally not what I was expecting. What did you have in mind? Well, if I tell you, then that'll tell everybody else who may not have read the issue. Well, they probably read their issues if they listen to this, right? Because people read all the issues before they actually listen, of course, don't they? The legions of fans. (laughs) Well, Well, if I if I tell you what it isn't, then that could. Spoil it for people to figure out what it is
0: Alright, we'll, we'll, we'll do it later then
1: Yes, before this Particular episode is over We will discuss all all that and more
0: Right, sounds good Okay
1: Should we launch into it?
0: Uh, yeah, because Any... uh, oh, we kind of did... Ended on a cliffhanger the last uh, time We visited Starfleet Academy We did, we did Okay,
1: so this one's titled Hide and Seek Starfleet Academy number 7 The writer is Chris Cooper, penciler Chris Renault, inker Andy Lanning, colors by Kevin Summer, letterer Jim Novak, editor Bobby Chase, chief Bob Haras. The cover shows a changeling uh, who is changing its form while surrounded by Omega Squad. Oddly enough, there are three versions of each member of Omega Squad that are circling the changeling. Each of the three copies are in exactly the same pose. It's not certain what the cover artist is trying to get get across here, but the changeling appears to be in trouble. text at the bottom tells us there is a changeling in their midst. The issue opens in an infirmary where Cadet Astron is fighting for his life after being shot with a phaser. The doctors are trying their best to treat him. Meanwhile, in another part of the academy, three more members of Omega Squad are speaking to their CO, Commander Zund. The commander is informing them of the evidence that says Nog shot Astron. Security cameras saw him clear as day. Astron cannot read Ferengis with his telepathic abilities, so Nog would be the only one on campus who could have snuck up on Astron. Nog's public outburst against Astron in a recent warp field lecture is another reason to support the, this unusual idea. The squadron all take their turns defending Nog, but when Zun mentions Nog's confession, silence falls until Tapril asks how Astrand is. Zun says the doctors think he will pull through, but the trauma could have affected his betasoid mind in unexpected ways. Given the confession, Nog is being held and undergoing psychiatric examination later in a hollow deck, Decker, uh, Teprela, and Pava are working off some frustration, beating the snot out of some ugly, aggressive Chalnoth simulations. Decker keeps on saying Nog did not shoot Astron, and there must be another explanation. It turns out he is correct. Meanwhile, Commander Zund is thinking to the recent past when Superintendent Pradesh totally trashed her and Omega Squad. He blames her bad judgment for the attack attack on Astron, and putting the entire telepath recruitment program in jeopardy. When she left his office, she knew she did not like the man. There was something not quite right about him. She conducts a little investigation of her own and finds that the lab that recently contained a runaway mini-wormhole was actually sabotage. She checks the lab's logs of who had access to it and finds something very interesting. Very interesting indeed. Nog is having the same nightmare again. Astron is down on his knees looking back over his shoulder. He sees an evil hobgoblin version of Nog firing a phaser at him. He wakes in his detainment cell to see Boothsby at the door. Nog tells Boothsby to go away, but Boothsby accurately says Nog has been having bad dreams about his supposed murder attempt on Astron. Nog says he must have done it since he keeps dreaming the incident in such accurate detail. Boothsby displays unusual knowledge of Nog's recent psych evaluation. He says Nog needs to put aside the dreams and ask himself if he is capable of such an act. Nog begins to realize that he is not capable of such a thing, as Boothby walks away challenging Nog to either stay sleeping in his nightmare or wake up and start fighting. Interlude Two mysterious beings, existing apparently in open space, that we had seen in issue number six, are speaking to each other. They are four days out from arriving at their destination, where an important event will take place. They are a thousand strong and apparently will need all their strength to meet the challenge. They say the others are superfluous, and in fact a liability. They insinuate the others will be removed from the equation. They say their new era will be inaugurated in blood. Back at Starfleet Academy, Nog is telling the rest of the squad he needs to get out of this jail cell. He realizes he did not attack Astron. In fact, he theorizes that though Astron's mind-reading zoid abilities do not allow him to read Ferengi's, perhaps Astron can project his thoughts into Nog's mind. They figure out that Astron depicting nog shapes as changing during the dream is saying his attacker is a changeling masquerading as nog Decker realizes that Astron would be a changeling's first target no duh further they think the incident in the science lab was meant for Astron he was scheduled to use the lab but was delayed with his bad headache all the pieces fit and they conclude a changeling is loose at the Academy Elsewhere, at the infirmary, a ponytail Starfleet male nurse takes out the guard who is posted outside Astron's room. He makes his way into the room to finish his murderous task, but is confronted by Omega Squad with phasers drawn. The changeling recognizes the danger he is in, and changes shape to his natural liquid state. He is able to open holes in his liquid body to avoid all four phaser beams shot at him. All four squad members are grabbed by the liquid tentacles, made solid enough to immobilize them. Just when it looks like Omega Squad is defeated, its newest member, Astrin, rises out of his bed and shares the pain of extreme phaser trauma with the changeling's mind. It reacts and loses its grip on the squad. They pick up their phasers and retreat out of the infirmary blasting away at the changeling as they exit. They lead the changeling into a hollow deck and use the deck's features to do two things. Number one, project multiple fake versions of themselves so the changeling could not be sure what human figure to attack, and number two, change the room's interior so it could not continue to blend into the background. With themselves masked from attack, and the changeling exposed as the room's interior changed from cave to forest the team found their target and fired they again miss as the room changes to desert and then a San Francisco Street complete with streetcars Decker is finally able to pick the changeling out of a crowd with his bionic eye and traps it in a containment field Astron uses his telepathic powers to interrogate the trapped shapeshifter he is able to get a substantial amount of information via his mind-reading. The dearth of knowledge is ended when the prisoner kills himself by coating its own liquid form against the inside of the circular containment field. The next day, Decker is at Camilla's grave with a bouquet of white roses, speaking to her about Adam and Decker's own promotion to squad leader. He says he can't hope to be the excellent natural leader she was, but maybe he can be his own kind of effective leader. He thanks her for listening. The End. The End? Yes.
0: Didn't you like the little next issue blurb at the end?
1: Oh, well, yeah. Well, like, yeah, so, yeah, Charlie X. Okay? Yes. I don't know. It it just seemed very X-Men-like how they did it.
0: You know, with the uh, oh, how they do it. Next up, his first name is Charles, and his last name spells excitement with the X instead of the EX. Oh God! It just really felt like reading the end of a uh, X-Men comic.
1: <laughs> well, the folks at Marvel would know how to do that. Yes, they would. They know a uh, thing or
0: two about this kind of stuff.
1: Exactly. Using letters like X in exciting new ways. So,
0: okay. Nog didn't do it after all.
1: Ah, I'm so surprised. I thought he did.
0: Well, he confessed. He remembered doing it.
1: Oh, yeah, exactly. So, isn't it kind of obvious that a shapeshifter would try to kill Astron? I mean,
0: isn't... Well, considering I mean, that's the reason why he was even put on a Megaswad was so that he could sniff
1: out shapeshifters. Exactly! Exactly! So if a shapeshifter is in their midst, um, accessing intelligence files, accessing personnel files, you know, he might pick up a few things. Anyway, right. so I thought it was kind of obvious. And then when Riker or Decker, when Decker actually says, uh, "Well, you know, Astron would be a natural first target," it's like you didn't just have that thought now, did you? <laughs> No.
0: One of the things I had a hard time with Taking seriously in this book Was the doctor or nurse Or whatever he was right. That Having ended a up being the changeling right. Yeah the ponytail <laughs> <laughs> right. Go ahead. That was just You don't see Starfleet men Walking around with ponytails Now I'm not saying they can't But I've seen enough Star Trek That I don't see it happen
1: Ever well, maybe he's not human. Maybe he's an alien, and in their society, ponytails are part of their culture. Okay. But I do agree. I do that. That is unusual.
0: I mean, it's something you saw in the comic books, especially in the 90s. I mean, because, heck, Superman even had long... Uh, a, a, not a ponytail, but he had long hair. Long hair head. at one point. Yeah. So, uh,
1: I mean, it was kind of in style, but just looked odd here. Yeah. What... I definitely had the thought that maybe there's obviously something weird about Superintendent Pradesh and I, and I definitely one the, of the, the, the things on my list of what's odd about him what's his story because he obviously has something going on that we're not privy to yet I thought he might have been the shapeshifter right but, so when I saw the ponytail guy I was like well that still could be Pradesh but probably not well there could be more than one that's another scenario Yes So That Pradesh thing is going to play itself out eventually But um, I'm, I'm I, still I, thinking I, he's a Klingon Well he looks like a Klingon But as we'll see By the, our third issue today Maybe he's something else Although okay. I I completely agree He looks like a Klingon
0: Alright well you'll have to tell me Who, who you think he might be oh, really? After the third issue uh, okay. It's not uh, jumping out at me
1: okay yeah and it's just another possibility I mean there isn't strong evidence but Spock does say or Spock is told something in the third issue today which maybe says he's another race but let's let's continue on okay I suppose I can accept the idea that a fully concentrating changeling would be fast enough to open holes in its own liquid body to avoid four phaser beams being shot at it by four independent people um However, the idea of them be, being able to continue to do that after his concentration is ruined by Astron's thought of, you know, uh, phaser trauma pain, uh, right. is pretty hard to, to swallow. Well, yeah, I mean, plus that's the speed of light, right? So, I, right, I don't
0: see how he could dodge it, and, and these are streams of light. So as you wiggle your hand, it should exactly. just be slicing him up like a like a cheese grate, a cheese slicer.
1: Yeah, although they never depict it in star trek it's a light beam i mean you should be able to move it from left to right up to down whatever kind of like a lightsaber and 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 have a a stream of death (laughs) going i mean that's what you should be able to do right so you should be right so you got four people shooting and they can move their hand anywhere they want to i think that's pretty hard to avoid but i agree whatever
0: and, uh, I mean, what did you think about uh, the telepath saying that he's been faking faking it the whole time so that he could lure
1: this uh, changeling well, into the trap? The whole time or more recently? Regardless. That he was yeah. faking at all? I, I, You know, I, I would... Th- normally when people get shot with phasers, unless they're on stun, you die. <laughs> you disintegrate. Something. Uh, the right. idea that he even survived at all is amazing and the fact that he was able to heal quickly enough to to not have enough pain that he could actually be conscious and laying in wait uh yeah i find that hard to believe i agree although we do find something out no actually i think it was this issue uh yeah i think it was this issue i just didn't mention it in this in the synopsis so supposedly when he was attacked by the changeling, Astrid had enough time to mess with its mind so that it threw off his aim. So I guess that's a mitigating thing, but still. Um, yeah. I, and then, as we'll see, well, he got up and ran. I mean, right? Into the hollow deck?
0: Yeah, no, no. He looked,
1: he looked fully functional to, by the end of the book.
0: Yeah, no, he, he, he kind of implied that he's been faking it this whole time. Or maybe not this whole time, but he's been faking
1: it for a while. Yeah. Right, so maybe when the initial when they first brought him into the infirmary, uh, he was really in bad shape, but uh, had had recouped enough. But still, yeah, it's it's hard to believe. It's like it's like a typical action hero who gets shot, uh, but then you know after a little bit of wincing is able to get up and do everything he did before. Right. BS. No, (laughs) that must hurt a lot. Don't think so. Right. You just have to wince every once in a while. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe a You're slight that.
0: limp, but you could still
1: shoot perfectly. And exactly, Chuck. You are that tough. Arnold, you are a toughie. Yeah. Right. I mean that that goes all the
0: way back to the westerns. I used to think it was. I think I've told you before. When when you see them get shot in the hand, right. And then you get that one scene where they're like cradling their hand, and then during the exposition, they're they're walking around picking up their gun, no problem. You know? Right. <laughs> like, right. Exactly. You just. Got shot in the hand You're not happy
1: Yeah, uh, unless the accuracy was that good That they could graze Just graze a little bit of skin <laughs> No, odds are Like like a bone was was Completely obliterated by that bullet right. And you'll never use that finger again Anyway <laughs> Right So
0: uh, can I Since we're on uh, his, re- remar- his remarkable Recovery Um, Can I mention something that I question Starfleet medical practices? Sure. So he must have got shot in the torso or the lower stomach or something by the changeling. Um, When you get shot, whether it's by phaser or bullet or whatever, do you normally put the bandage on the outside of your clothing? So he's still wearing his Starfleet jumpsuit. And then on top of his Starfleet jumpsuit, he has, like, a white bandage kind of taped to the jumpsuit.
1: Does that yeah. kind of seem a little weird? That's that's weird. That's weird. Yeah, he shouldn't even have a uniform on, you know. Right. He should be in, like, some, some, you know, some little dress, you know, medical hospital gown with his butt sticking out the back.
0: Right. Yes. Because even in the future...
1: He's been shot.
0: But will stick out.
1: Exactly. They still will not find a way around that technological flaw. <laughs>
0: Agree, 100%. Yeah.
1: Anyway. Yeah, so, Charlie X being the antagonist for the next issue. um, I was never a fan of that Charlie X episode, ever. I, I just didn't like it. I just didn't like the character. Didn't like him. So... I was definitely thinking at the end of this, I hope they do something interesting with Charlie X that will make me like him better. You are in for a treat, then. Well, as I discovered, I got my answer when I read it.
0: And And I'm not going to
1: say a thing about it. (laughs) (laughs) Until we get there. But I just wanted to just mention that. I I, I never was a fan of that episode. Or that character.
0: No, I wasn't either. I, I always thought it was kind of a retread of Gary Mitchell. They both superpowered
1: Right and, and, and really even more so It's a retread of a Twilight Zone Episode Kick the can Was, Was that, that the title the of it Was that the title of it I, I don't remember the title I, I'm pretty sure Wasn't it Billy Mummy Yeah Billy Mummy Right So he's a, he's a little kid Seven year old or whatever he is And he's got the superpowers To, to do anything And he controls a whole town Yeah, and and the adults are very, you know, they're they're afraid of what to say because otherwise they'll disappear and that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's uh, that that was that was an interesting one. That was a good one.
0: Now that was one of the ones that they reused for the Twilight Zone movie, right? I think
1: so. I don't know, maybe.
0: I mean, forgot who played the little kid in that one.
1: Quite frankly, whenever I think of that Twilight Zone movie, which was decent. I just keep on thinking of the uh, the gremlin one on the plane. Oh, with um, John Lithgow. John Lithgow. That that's the one I focus in on. Well, that's that's a good one. That's a great one. <laughs> There's a man th- on the wing of the plane. <laughs>
0: you saw you saw the episode of uh, Thirty Rock or not Thirty Rock, Third Rock from the Sun with John Lithgow and William Shatner.
1: Oh, no. I, don't, I never saw that.
0: Yeah, because... Uh, I, I really Chatter, like that show. William Shatner plays, like, their leader, and then when he
1: oh, finally shows up... Oh, I gotcha. You know,
0: he says something about, you know, the fight was good, except there was something on the wing. <laughs> and then
1: John
0: Lithgow's like, you saw it, too? <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, that's good. I like that. That's a great in-joke. I can't believe you didn't see it. Well, I never saw that. I mean, how often was he their leader? I don't Did know. he come back every once in a while, or just one episode?
0: I didn't watch it all that religiously, but I did see that
1: one. Okay, well I have to go and find that now. Yeah, that that was a funny show. Um, especially when they had Robin there as a, as a small child with long hair. Oh,
0: Robin. Yeah, I Robin. You, yeah. His name's John Blake. Well, whatever. Robin. His
1: nickname's Robin. Should go by your nickname.
0: No, that was his real name. His real name was Robin. His nickname
1: was John. Oh, okay. Well, whatever. Just to make it even more confusing. That's confusing. Anyway.
0: All right. So let's talk real quick about the bionic eye, and then uh, that'll be my last comment for this okay. issue. Um, so he, the whole time, he knew where the changeling was because of his bionic eye. Yet he, they still went through the whole rigmarole of changing the Ola deck every couple seconds.
1: That's a very good. That's a very good point. So he was able to pick out the changeling from all the other people waiting to get on the trolley by seeing that the infrared pattern of the body heat was different for the changeling compared to the other people that were waiting, the holodeck people that were waiting to get on board.
0: Right, which made no sense. Well, I mean, it makes sense if he has that power. That's great, but why did you not use it before? I mean why, right. why go so, through the you could see that this tree has a different infrared better right, so,
1: than that tree right so yeah and, and really the tree I mean how much well I guess, I guess a tree produces heat but or does it I mean it's not like it's a mammal or something Right. it may not produce heat but even that alone so he's saying the changeling is producing heat because those people that were waiting in line to get on the trolley they were holodeck things which I'm sure don't produce heat or do they who knows? I don't know. I don't Depends know. on the story. Right. But, but I mean, yeah, yeah, I thought it, that obviously was... Obviously,
0: they produce enough variations that Jordy sees them as real people. And Jordy doesn't see physical matter the way we see it, so... Uh, I mean, I'm equating his bionic eye to Jordy's eyes, yep. and... Uh, good
1: point, good point. And, I
0: mean, Jordy's always, like, you know, the whole Moriarty stories, and the leah brahms and stuff he doesn't see them as little things of light he sees them as whatever they're supposed to be
1: yeah so. that's I a good point really i it, i though. had i hadn't thought about the geordie thing
0: yeah he's he's one half geordie now
1: <laughs> yeah and a lot more you know a lot more normal looking for it as geordie eventually becomes even though geordie's eyes still look mechanical
0: right yeah he doesn't I mean, the odd
1: blue ones Exactly. So the little close ups you can still see there's something interesting in his pupils going on.
0: You think Jordy did that on purpose? You know, it's like,
1: I still want to kinda of put people off. <laughs> I thought that was kinda of cool. Oh
0: no. So no, you no. can
1: still you can still see there's something different about him, but it's much more subtle than the visor.
0: Right, and it looked cool when they did, you know, the close up and it's like adjusting the iris and stuff and
1: it's Exactly. Like, I thought that was very
0: bits. nice. I like yeah, that bit.
1: Like that was life. very cool, okay Until,
0: it wasn't an insurrection where suddenly just one scene you turn the corner and suddenly he his eyes have grown back with no explanation as to how his old eyes or how the robotic eyes fell out, and his new eyes are in there and
1: uh, I really don't like that movie, yeah, well, maybe that was yet another generation of the stuff he had put in. I don't know.
0: Oh, no. By the end of the movie, he's got his normal ones back. His uh, blue ones.
1: Oh, really? Oh, okay.
0: Remember just that one scene, it shows him, like, staring off at the sunset, and he's, like, turns around, and his he's got normal LeVar Burton eyes. And he says that his eyes grew back because of the miraculous powers of uh, the planet. Oh. Oh, well, there you go. That, yes. that makes perfect sense. They grew back, and then as they're growing back, the old one, the, the robotic ones, just fall out, and all the connectors into his brain just... Fallout. Yeah. Don't That's what it. happened. That's what happened. All right, anyway. You enough.
1: again are thinking too much, my friend. Enough
0: about that fantastic movie.
1: <laughs> One of your favorites. <laughs> okay, so issue eight?
0: Yes. Let's let's see if this Charlie X thing pans out. Excellent. Alright, so this issue is entitled X Squared. And it is uh it came out July nineteen ninety seven. Uh, Writer was Chris Cooper, penciler John Royal, inker Andy Lanning, letterer Jim Novak, colorist Kevin Somers, editor Bobby Chase, and editor-in-chief Bob Harris. Alright, so the cover shows a young man in a yellow, what might be the wraparound tunic type thing of Kirk's uh, from the old Taz episodes. Uh, Doesn't quite look like that, but it does have the little logo kind of on his stomach that could be a Starfleet swoosh uh, anyways this, this young man is uh, holding some marionette puppets and uh, we see that the puppets are actually the forms of all the Omega Squad and then the caption reads The Return of Charlie X so the story starts off with Cadet Astron uh, he's playing through the final events of last issue where he probed the mind of the Changeling and got some glimpses of some sort of plan. He cannot quite put his finger on it, though, and it's, and it's bothering him. His thoughts are interrupted by a woman named Ensign Lee, who has been tasked with taking Omega Squad on a mission to pick up a young stowaway from the spaceship El Dorado. Lee is not too happy about the assignment, nor are any of the Omega Squad. Everybody sees it as being a babysitting mission. Adim asks Tapril about the possibility of doing a mind mail to help him sift through his visions and get his powers back on track. She refuses and walks away. He wonders, why did he sense fear from her? Soon, the runabout makes its way to the Eldorado. The ship is severely damaged, and there's no life signs aboard. Omega Squad beams over, and they eventually find one young man who says his name is Charlie Evans. Interlude. The two mysterious cloaked forms are again shown talking on a backdrop of space. They talk about gaining complete control of the ship. With that, the camera kind of pans out, and we see that they're actually standing aboard a bridge... In front of a giant view screen and not just floating in space as we've been led to believe all this time. Uh, Around them we see some dead bodies of various alien crew members. Back aboard the runabout, the Omega Squad is trying to get some answers out of Charlie. He does not know what happened to the ship. When Matt tells him that the life pods were never launched, Charlie asks, Are you sure? And then there's a little twinkle in his eye. Suddenly, the logs reflect the launching of all the pods. Something is not quite adding up here. Ensign Lee is researching his name, and she stumbles across a rerun of the classic episode, Charlie X. She now knows that this is indeed the same Charlie. She confronts him at phaser point, and he turns her into a crystal statue of some sort. When the crew find her, they do some tricorder scans, and they say that she's still alive, yet she's now a crystal statue. Lee is able to communicate with Adam using his telepathic powers, and she tells him everything she learned from the episode. Adam then confronts Charlie, and all of the Omega Squad and Lee are transported to an alternate dimension. It's a crazy dimension where up is down and down is up. It's very visually interesting. Incidentally, and the rest of the uh, crew from the El Dorado are also there, all safe and sound. Adem tries to break Charlie's concentration so that may, perhaps they'll revert back to the real dimension. Uh, this only angers the young man, and he appears in the alternate dimension as a giant. Smashing everything, and he blasts Lee with some sort of beam that transforms her body into some sort of stringy rope. It, it's, a pretty vis- it's a pretty interesting visual. She just literally unravels. Eventually, with all his attacks, his mental powers start to wane, and he starts to shrink back to a somewhat normal size. Still quite larger than a normal person, uh, Pava, Matt, and Nog physically attack him. While they're doing that, Adem blasts him with a mental attack, and he eventually is defeated. The team learns that Charlie was abandoned by the aliens that have kept him all these years, and he created an imaginary friend. And because of his powers, this friend became a real entity. And the two of them residing in the same body is what's causing the destructions of the ships that he happens to be on. Charlie is sending the crew of all these ships to this pocket dimension so that he can try to save them. He then uses the last of his powers to send the crew to the planet Taurus. Charlie is nowhere to be seen, and it is unclear how they will ever leave this desert planet. Elsewhere, the cloaked aliens from the interludes turn out to be Jem'Hadar. They decloak themselves on the bridge of the ship, and they claim they have arrived at their destination. The planet Talos four
1: To be continued Talos four? What are they doing there? You've heard of it before? I've heard of it I think we all have heard of it I'm glad you do, did the summarization of this one Because there were some things going on in the storyline That kind of Confused me I had to read them a couple times till I got things straight Oh, did I, did I Misinterpret anything? No, No, I, I think you did everything just fine Okay. It's just that when I read it first time through, and I and you know when I'm not actually summarizing the issue, I, I sometimes am not quite as engaged in the story. When I'm trying to ferret out every little detail so I can translate it into a summarization, but when I first read this through, there were multiple things I got wrong. Oh, really? Like what? Well, like the idea that I was thinking as I was going through this that the Jem Hadar were somehow responsible for the uh, the ship that Charlie was on. Uh, and the their problems. El- the Eldorado. So, so I got that wrong, and I realized it in short order, but still. And then, I still don't get... Okay, so the Jem'Hadar have been invisible stowaways on this other ship that took them through Federation space to Talos IV. Right. And then they slaughtered pretty much all of the the people that were, uh, you know, running the ship. Is is that it? Right. Uh, that's the way I took it. So they got a thousand guys on this ship. A thousand Jem'Hadar.
0: Um, completely
1: cloaked. Completely Standing cloaked. on the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> While these other numbnuts... Uh, so maybe they're Alpha Quadrant people. I don't know. A race. And they're going to Talos Four. A forbidden... Planet in the Federation, so.
0: Well, maybe they weren't going to Talos IV, and they were just going to go somewhere close enough that the the Jem'Hadar would hijack
1: the ship and then take it the rest of the way. Okay, well, I that could be okay. So that that's a point. But I thought they had actually gone to Talos IV, and then they they made themselves plain and started slaughtering the crew. Anyway, I thought that was all a little confusing. Um, but then I finally caught the fact that it's. Charlie X's doppelganger or whatever, who is causing warp cores to breach or whatever. Right. So that was like, uh huh. Okay, so so it's a Jekyll and Hyde thing, huh? So there's a good Charlie and there's an evil Charlie. Right.
0: Now I, that was about the only part of this book that I liked. I liked the right. idea that you know he does have powers. He can manifest things. He created a imaginary friend because he was so lonely. Mm hmm. And then, because of his powers, that imaginary friend took consciousness and, and became a true entity. I mean, okay,
1: it, I kind of like that. Yeah, all that was fine, except for the the little thing about the fact that the entity is slightly out of phase with our universe or something, and they swap in and out of being in phase with this universe. That's why we only see one of them at a time. It was like. Oh, man, this is getting thick. Uh, right. I, I didn't like that part.
0: <laughs> and that it would then cause warp core breaches.
1: Well, that's another thing, right. Very convenient, isn't it? But, right. Okay. Well, I'm going with it. I, 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 like, I, like, I like where the story's going. There's just a few things that are kind of like, Really? Okay. Okay, fine. Right. And,
0: and I didn't like how... I mean, if he does have these powers to send people to alternate dimensions and things like right. that... That I didn't understand how him, you know, being Godzilla and destroying all the buildings, (laughs) but then uh, cause him to lose enough power that he would start shrinking because his powers were getting weaker. I mean, I don't think mental powers become weaker unless you get just completely knocked out or whatever.
1: Yeah. You either can do it or you can't. I would think so, but they're the authors and they're making the rules, so whatever. (laughs) Right, and, and the rules will make the story the the narr- narration easier. So there you go. But so you know. I want to know what's with all the bad uh, spaceman dialogue, like out of Gold Key. Oh, like what? Well, uh, I think I think it was okay. So I I think it was Decker who said it, but the word bubble came out of the. Uh, the runabout, so it's kind of hard to say for sure. But it said, By the Stars. And then oh. Zund says, Dark Nebula. And, and oh, of course, no, this she is. Yes, yeah, she did. Dark Nebula. That's towards the end. Well, okay, towards the end of the previous issue. Oh, okay. So not this issue, but towards the end of the previous issue. So they're expletives instead of saying, an expletive, <laughs> you know, when you normally swear. They're right. saying, By the Stars. Or, dark nebula! Really? Great moons of Saturn. No, there you go. Exactly. That was so, like one of the gold keys? Probably. Yeah, was that something Scotty said? Anyway, um, it, it just reminded me a lot of gold key, that's all. Right. Which is like, why did they do that? Just for the fun of it?
0: Yeah, uh, good point. I I hadn't picked up on it. Yeah. Eh. yeah. I mean, it's something that's been in comic books since the beginning. I mean.
1: Oh sure, sure. You
0: can't have Superman always exclaiming, "Oh my god." So instead he says, "Great Krypton." Or uh, <laughs> "By Rao! "By well, Rao? Even, uh, yeah, Rao is was a god in uh, or actually it's the son of uh, Krypton. Anyways, oh, but okay. but actually some of it is actually became uh, you know, Great Scott. That was a that was from um, that was from uh, Captain Marvel Comics. Oh, really? Yeah, but now you you hear it, you know, Great Scott, you know, kind of a thing. Right. I guess it's still kind of related to comic books, but... Yeah, but I never knew that. Yeah. Well, interesting. So, by the stars, maybe that'll pick up one day and, and we'll be saying that. Or, but I doubt if we'll be saying
1: Dark Nebula.
0: I don't know. That one actually, I like better.
1: It has a ring, you think? Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah Right. In the, Star, in the Star Wars books, they always say, Emperor's Black Bones or something like that. Oh, really? <laughs> which, <clears throat> okay. Which I thought was always kind of funny because, you know, you would kind of be cursing the Emperor if, if he subjugated you for, you know, 20 years or whatever. Right.
1: Interesting. Anyways, good point. So what do you think about the cover and the fact that, at least to me, they show Camila Goldstein on there? That's what I think. Now, mind you, I know that's probably Ensign Lee, because that's the only other brunette who's in the runabout. But the one of the puppets, uh, yeah, Charlie the, String. The main puppet? The main puppet that's closest to the reader, that's biggest, so you can see her very well. That looks like Camila Goldstein to me.
0: Uh, yeah, I could see it. I mean, her hair is bigger than um, Ensign Lee's, Lee's hair.
1: Right. Bigger. She doesn't have
0: the huge ponytail that camilla
1: had true or the, but
0: it,
1: yeah the big long thing yeah but what if she didn't have that didn't have her uh her hair pulled back into a ponytail it would probably be big and fluffy right yeah no i could see that i mean she has the instant pip so yeah,
0: camilla never did but yeah. i could i definitely see it i mean when i first looked at the book i thought that's who it was
1: that's who i thought
0: because i didn't know who Ensign Lee was yet
1: yeah so it was like wait they're not going to bring back camilla are they because it's bad enough you killed her off Don't bring her back She ain't Spock, she ain't Christ Don't do it
0: <laughs> And now Kirk
1: And now Kirk, yes Anyway uh, Let's see
0: yeah, what, what did you think of
1: the <clears throat> Well, I, I think it was fine um, I think I think they have a tendency to put the women Into poses that are kind of uh, Sexy, if they can
0: Right, and I thought the the Pava one, they they with her back or, or her chest kind of thrust up like that, and yep. her waist being so small. I mean, it just yep. I know that they were going for a you know this is supposed to be a sexy look, but it just looked really like Dumb. her back is broken or something, oh. just oh. unnatural, and yeah. it, it did not do it for me. Although yeah. I
1: think that's what they were they were trying to be make sexy. Sexy. Yep. I like Charlie's tunic. But I completely agree with you that it is very reminiscent of, although not exactly the same, very reminiscent of Kirk's uh, wraparound tunic.
0: Right. And and I couldn't remember what Charlie X wore in the show, but I thought it had that kind of collar, that it was like a a, you know, a collar and then an overshirt on top of that. So I'm yeah, thinking, I was thinking, well, maybe yeah. he wore this in the show, but I never realized that it had the wraparound logo thing
1: on the si- on the stomach. Yeah, I <clears throat> I think he did wear something similar to this, and I would have to go back and look at a a picture to know for sure. Right. But um, it, I think it was something similar to this. But I too do not remember the wraparound bit about it. And really, if you look at it, it does look like a jacket. Right. I mean, it looks like it opens vertically, even though it also looks like it's got a wraparound thing. So. Right. Yeah. It's it's interesting. Yes, yes. So, what do you think about that phaser Lee pulls on Charlie when she finally says, "There's something going on here, and I'm getting to the bottom of it." I don't know. Looks like
0: a you know, old old-timey Phase One phaser.
1: Well, it's so big. It looks on the one hand it's big, and it looks like a standard Type Two phaser. But when you look at it, it's completely straight. Right. And even the handle looks kind of thick on it, kind of like—I agree with you—kind of like a big Type One phaser. That's what's so odd about it. Um, It—it just—it just wasn't very accurate, but right. yeah, it just it, threw me off a bit. Yeah. Like, where'd they get that one from? A new design.
0: Well, this is the one they give to ensigns and cadets. It's a
1: Apparently. training phaser. Apparently. Except, of course, all the other phasers the the kids from Omega Squad use look normal. But, anyway, I just thought I'd mention it. But, let's talk about that scene. He turns
0: okay. her into a crystal statue. Yeah. That's still somehow alive.
1: What? Yeah. What? what?
0: Yeah. What?
1: No! <laughs> Did you want
0: to say what? Oh, I was so Disappointed. Oh. It's just like, oh come on! And it's alive, and she could still communicate and re re thread the whole episode of Charlie X to Evan Evan Eden, whatever his name is through her oh, telepathy. It, um, Eden, whatever. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I did not like that part. <sighs> no, but you know there are flaws even in diamonds. So there you go. And now she is
0: one. She became a exactly. Human living diamond that yeah. couldn't move
1: Now I do think, as you mentioned, when she was a, when she was first attacked by Charlie being turned into diamond, I think that was a very cool visual yeah be, yeah, be, between his crotch and legs <laughs> I, <laughs>
0: like I thought, thought it was like
1: Bond. exactly I thought it was like a James Bond movie thing or, or opening sequence or something anyway, but I did think that looked pretty cool No, it looked
0: cool, and then her being a crystal statue. That's also cool. You killed her in a, in a pretty interesting way. Right. Kudos to you, Charlie. <laughs> and then, oh, no, she's still alive and able to communicate. And this reminded me of, like, the He-Man cartoons when they would be frozen, yet they could still talk and right. be like, uh, no, you're supposed to be frozen. Yeah. There's no talking when you're frozen. Right. I mean, at yeah. least here she's not talking with her mouth, but she's... Right. With her
1: mind. With her mind.
0: Anyways, maybe I'm overthinking it a little. Yeah.
1: A little bit, but that's fine. Okay, I think that's that's my last comment about this one. Uh, I, too, am finished with comments. Excellent. So let's find out what the heck's going on with all this in issue number nine, Return to Forbidden Planet, part one.
0: And, and can I just say one thing? Yes. I've been really looking forward to reading this ever since we finished, uh, what was it, episode way back when we did did Pike era so whenever we finish that I've been looking forward to this issue because I knew Pike was coming back and I've never read uh, Starfleet Academy and I was like "All right, we're going to get Pike again can't wait can't wait
1: cool and he is definitely here (laughs) okay since you've read it um, I'm interested in your teeing it up that way okay Okay, no, I'm so just
0: saying, it, had, it had a lot of expectations going
1: on it because it's been years since, since
0: We've I've been waiting Pike. to
1: read it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I'm a big Pike fan too. So let's see what he does in here. Published date, August 1997. Creative team, writer Chris Cooper, penciler Chris Renaud, inker Andy Lanning, colors Kevin Summers, letterer Jim Novak, editor Bobby Chase, chief Bob Haras. The cover shows... Captain Christopher Pike, phaser rifle in hand, backed up by armed members of Omega Squad, running at a foe. Above them are the heads of a Talosian and a Jem'Hadar soldier. Text reads, the cadets on Talos IV with Pike and the Jem'Hadar. Nuff said. A very unexpected special guest star in this issue. Perhaps more than one. The first page of the issue features a full-page panel occupied by the head of Ambassador Spock. He is hearing voices in his head, thousands dead, defenseless. He is meditating on the floor inside a building on Romulus when his assistant, eterea enters calling his name. She brings him rumors of a Romulan spy planted deep in Starfleet operations. Spock says Romulans masquerading as Vulcans are not uncommon, but they never last long. Their inability to act logically and without displays of emotion normally gives them away. Atteria asks, but what if one could? Spock tells her to arrange for transport. He is leaving Romulus. Elsewhere. Matt Decker, in his cadet uniform, confronts a younger version of himself on the day the younger version received word he and his best friend Yoshi were accepted into Starfleet Academy. The older version of Decker starts beating the tar out of his younger version for thinking that he had any right to be in Starfleet. His poor leadership may have cost the life of Charlie Evans. His eagerness to fight Klingons got his friend Camilla killed his round of literally beating himself over his perceived mistakes is halted when Camilla herself walks into the room telling him to stop. Decker halts the program and it turns out that it was a holodeck program. As Decker stands there alone in the dark room he says he's a bit disillusioned. In a mess hall at Starfleet Academy the rest of Omega Squad are having a meal they talk about Matt's disillusioned state, and they all admit to similar feelings. What have they achieved lately? Adam again talks about his attempts to decipher the information from the shapeshifter's mind. Matt enters with his own tray of food in time for Idam to go into a translate state and leave the room without saying a word. They contact Commander Zund, reporting that Idam is walking like a robot into a runabout hangar. She says to stay with him. Even if he does get into a ship, he can't fly it without the right security codes. He does enter a runabout, and Omega Squad follows. He enters a security code, and the ship takes off. Before the shocked Zun can tell them to stop Idam from taking off with the ship, the ship departs and heads for open space. Idam collapses in the pilot's chair as the rest of the team realize they have been locked out of the controls. The ship is flying a pre-programmed course, and they can't do anything to stop it. They discover the security code Edam entered is Captain Christopher Pike's. Since he was never pronounced dead, they say it was never deactivated. They see the runabout's heading is towards Talos IV, the only planet in the Federation that carries the death penalty. They try and fail to stop the ship from reaching Talos IV. Edam tells them he must go to Talos IV. He received a distress call from them telepathically. They need their help. They go back and forth about how they swore to uphold the laws of the Federation, which say they can't go to Talos IV. Meanwhile, back at the academy, Superintendent Pradesh is informed of the incident and the runabout's destination. They check and find out no ships are in range to intercept the runabout. We also find out, at present speed, the runabout will arrive at Talos four in two days. Pradesh calls a conference of his deans. The runabout arrives, and on landing he finds dead Jem'Hadar and Talogian bodies strewn everywhere. As they look at the carnage, trying to figure out what Jem'Hadar soldiers are doing there, Captain Christopher Pike, armed with a phaser rifle, tells them not to move. He then realizes they are Starfleet, despite the different uniforms, and asks where Spock is. They say there is no Spock, just them. Pike surmises that they are cadets based on their age, and there aren't many of them. Decker confirms Starfleet is not on their way. Pike is not happy to have so few to fight a war, but he says he'll have to make do. Pike leads them to an underground chamber where they can keep the runabout safe well more safe anyway. They are walking below ground with Telogians who are caring for the wounded all around them. Pike recounts to them the events of the original series episode The Menagerie which explains how Pike got there. They gave him the illusion of a functioning body and apparently kept him alive to the present day. Three days ago the Jem'Hadar came and attacked without mercy. A sickness had been sweeping the Telogians and sending a large percentage of their population into comas. Suddenly, the Jemhadar break through a cave wall and open fire on the Telogians. Pike tells the cadets to hold their fire. As long as they do that, the Jemhadar will think they are just illusions and will not attack them. Indeed, Pike is right, and the cadets witness the horrors of war as the temporarily successful telepathic powers slow down the attack but eventually the animalistic violent minds of the Jem'Hadar are able to overcome the Telogian's telepathic powers the Telogians in the cave system are quickly overcome incredibly with most if not all the Telogians dead the Jem'Hadar still believe the guys in Starfleet uniforms you know their enemies are all illusions Nog rightly assesses the situation as a no-win scenario. There are only six of them against hundreds. Pike says he is right, and he would not blame them if they took off in their ship, but... Pike then goes on to give a great motivational speech, that at the end he says, win one for the Gipper." Well, not really, but that gives you the feel of what he was saying. The cadets are now all on board with him leading them into the valley of death. They set their phasers on maximum stun and begin a guerrilla warfare attack. With their own cleverness and the illusion help of the Telosians, they begin picking off Jem'Hadar one by one. With three of the Jem'Hadar tied up in front of them, they start using Adam's telepathic powers to read their thoughts to find out why they are killing the Telosians. If they know that, they might figure out a way to stop them. Adam discovers that the Telosians are only the first. The Vulcans, the Ulians, the Zosians, the Betazoids. They plan a genocide of all the telepathic races in the Federation. To be continued. Bum, bum, bum! Exactly. Big reveal at the end. So, m- let me uh,
0: before we get into the the meat of the story, yes, back to what you alluded to earlier what What did Spock say that you thought might have given away what
1: he commander is or yeah administrator, whatever he is uh, yeah uh, of Starfleet academy right um, actually, it wasn't what Spock said, it was what um, what his assistant said. She ran in talking about uh, high ranking infiltration into Starfleet operations of a Romulan. So right. now maybe he's talking about to or maybe she's talking about, or the rumor is talking about to but I doubt it because she isn't very high ranking. I mean she's just a cadet. So I think there's at least the possibility that that Pradesh is a Romulan. But this mm. time, instead of masquerading as a Vulcan, which is hard to pull off for a Romulan because Romulans do have emotions, uh, and Vulcans don't uh, human beings have emotions so if emotions are displayed by the Romulan spy, that would be less noticeable interesting alright so I'm, I'm not saying I know for sure Pradesh is a Romulan, but I'm saying it's a it's a good possibility no, you're right
0: uh, I hadn't thought of it
1: yeah but again I say, especially in this comic, he looks like a Klingon. He's got that, you know, that 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 goatee beard or whatever you call it. Yeah, he does. Yeah. And he's got the darker skin. Uh of course he's supposed to be Indian, I guess. Pradesh isn't Pradesh, normally an Indian East Indian name. Whatever. Uh he's got there's something going on there. All right, I had not thought of him
0: being the Romulan. I just assumed they were talking about to Prill, and I was thinking, okay, well, she's been undercover her whole childhood and everything. Right. She was almost raised Vulcan, and that's why she's able to uh, pretend to be Vulcan where other uh, high-ranking, or uh, why other Romulans weren't.
1: But sure. good point. He could be something else. huh? Well, wouldn't either way address the problem of, of a Romulan trying to masquerade uh, as a Vulcan? Yeah, no, you're right. Either way, way right. would do it. You were
0: absolutely right. I just didn't think—I didn't think of that.
1: Yeah. Good. So we'll see what happens. I, I think in the end, you're probably right. They probably are talking about Tupprial, but um, I think also uh, he's a possibility. I—I I agree. Good. Good call. Yeah. So I didn't like how they how they kind of glossed over the idea why Pike is still alive. Um, I I thought the one throwaway line To explain it uh, When you're a lump of flesh there isn't much to age I thought that was kind of weak Agreed So it's kind of something the writer said Well look he's alive We don't have to invest a lot of time explaining it Let's just move on So fine okay fine (laughs) But
0: I I didn't really think about Why he was alive But And then when they said it Then it kind of irked me a little bit I was like, like really I would just rather you not mention it at all <laughs> He's alive. Telosian somehow did it. That, that's all you really need to say. Right. Or, you don't even need to say it. Just that's it. Yeah. But uh oh well. So um where is what was her name Vina Vila? His girlfriend?
1: The the lumpy girl? Oh! Go! <laughs> Oh, good point. I, I did not even think of her. Oh, uh, really? <laughs> yeah, v, Vina. Vina. Vina, right.
0: Yeah. When,
1: I, I did like... not even think about that. Well, she probably died because she's old, like he should be. Anyway, I, I think they figured just don't even bother with that complexity. But she should have been there. I agree. Although I did all not right. think about that at all. Oh, that's too bad. Bad on me. Well,
0: um, I don't know. I, I just keep comparing this story to the story where we already, uh, I think it was the annual or something uh, right. that DC did Yep. where Spock went back to kind of get him to come back to Starfleet and they may have a cure for uh, those burns or whatever. Right. And he had a son and all that other good stuff. Right. Uh, I, I think it was just... Done better in that story than, than this is so far as far as what he's been doing all this time.
1: Exactly right, but this is more adventure time, where I think that other one, which I agree was better, a, a little bit more realistically dealt with anyway, um, that wasn't as much action packed as this is. Well, that one had. Didn't, isn't that the one that had the Klingon showing up and trying yeah. to take
0: over and things like that? Yeah, it isn't that funny. Action
1: Yeah, it isn't that funny that they're using the same idea again.
0: Nothing new under the sun.
1: No, you're right about that. Anyway, another thing, uh, how about if we talk about the telepathic wars?
0: Uh, yeah, sure.
1: So I had mentioned how I was expecting something different. You did? So what I was expecting was similar to the kind of stuff that kind of like was going on in Babylon 5 where the... Telepaths were using their powers against uh the normals, so kind of like an x men kind of thing or whatever so that 's what I was expecting telepath wars, you know, like more of an internal an internal federation kind of thing. Um, I was not expecting that the Jem hadar were coming a thousand strong to wipe out all the uh, telepaths right
0: yeah i haven 't seen uh... Babylon Five, so I don't, I don't catch that reference, but well, I get what you're saying.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, but what? So I was not expecting that. Now, was there something in DS Nine that talked about why the Founders and the Jem'Hadar were so were so against telepath, There was some kind of weakness. I don't remember.
0: Was there something mm-hmm,
1: nope. like that? Okay, nope, not that I recall. Okay, so I guess we're gonna find out as things un- unfold, but. But, you know, this is where it gets a little dangerous, doesn't it? Um, This whole time period was done in Deep Space Nine. And even some of the next-gen movies alluded to it. Um, So, I know all this is happening away from Deep Space Nine, but uh, I'm kind of... Because I remember Deep Space Nine never mentioning the telepath wars. Did they? Nope. No. Of course not. Okay, so, I just... I, this is an example of where it gets kind of dicey when you start having a new storyline that's happening simultaneously in a time period we already know about. Right. Yeah, and it'll be really
0: interesting for me once the, the war really kicks off on how Voyager is going to tie into it. Because Voyager does have a chapter of the, the war, right? So I think it's like the fifth book is a Voyager story. So how... I mean, the and Art aren't going to make it all the way to the gamma quadrant. No. Delta. Not at all. Quadrant. Which one, which one are they in again? They're in gamma. Delta. Right? Delta. delta. Voyagers yeah, and the Delta. The are in the gamma quadrant. Right. And Voyagers in the Delta
1: quadrant. That's right. 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 So, that is going to be interesting how they pull that in. I just right, hope that they, mo- I just hope it isn't too much of a stretch, but I guess we'll find out.
0: Yeah. Well, around this time Pocket Books did their version of a big crossover and it was um an invasion. This this alien race from another galaxy is invading uh, or invading our galaxy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was a an original series story. There was a, you know, then all the other next generation timeline stories really were the ones that had the meat of the stories. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there was a Voyager one, and it kind of made sense because, you know, the galaxy's pretty dang big, and if these people were coming from Another galaxy. It kind of made sense why there could be some remnants of them in the in that quadrant. Um, but I don't know how they're going to deal with with this this war that's instigated by the Gemidar. Yeah. Well.
1: So we will discover.
0: Not we don't have to wait too yeah, long. Don't that's don't what. I, that's there what you kidding.
1: go. That's yeah. I want to wrap this up before too long.
0: <laughs> this episode or just this storyline?
1: This story arc. <laughs> well, I want to find out what happens.
0: Oh, actually, I lied. Next week is Deep Space Nine. I was wrong. We have Deep Space Nine, two issues of Deep Space Nine next week, two episodes of Star- Starfleet Academy the next yeah. week, and then stu- two episodes of Voyager. So
1: we'll have three short weeks, and then boom. Okay. War. Six issues. Crazy. Okay. So remember this, folks. We'll be picking this up in a while. Anyway, don't you think it's rather laughable that the Jem'Hadar think that the Starfleet people are illusions.
0: Oh, so bad.
1: Oh, my God. Now, now, mind you, they had to do something there. But, oh, that's lame. <laughs> so they couldn't think of a better way to kind of keep them under undercover.
0: I don't know. Yeah, and the way they did it with, you know, Nog singing and dancing
1: and acting all silly, I was just like, oh, just Why? <laughs> yeah couldn't he distract him in a more not stupid way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and why would why would they
0: think that oh this must be a telosian trick or a uh, image. Yeah. Being stupid. Why would they why would they why would that be something they would come up with?
1: Right. And, and you know the telosians can change shape, right? So why would you not think it might be a Telogian who's who's projecting a different image, right, of, of themselves? Uh, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And and let's be honest: if you can create anything, I mean, even if even if they, so what is it? The raw emotions they can't their their projections can't uh, affect raw
1: emotions, or they just can't read raw emotions—violent, primitive emotions—which. Quite frankly, as this was first going down, I was thinking, how okay, so the Gemadar are powerful warriors, whatever. How can they they shouldn't be able to do squat against the Telosians the same way the original enterprise couldn't do squat against them right um, but then they said, "Oh, there's a malady, so a lot of them are are out of the picture you know, uh, they're, good point. they're they're unconscious yeah. the so It was like the illness, okay, okay, well, okay." so now the Jem'Hadar have a better shot because there's fewer Telosians to deal with but still even a, f- even a handful of Talosians should be able to mess with the Jem'Hadar's minds and then they said oh, they reminded us of the original Cage pilot slash Menagerie episode where the Telosians can't, can't read through uh, primitive violent uh, thoughts right. so it's like, oh, okay well that makes sense Wow, the Talosians are really screwed here. And indeed, they appear to be. Just because
0: you can't read through them, why can't you still project that the walls there and, and it's un, unbeatable wall? I mean, you can shoot your blaster cannon at it all day long, and it's still you know,
1: there. You know, you make a good point. That's a very good point. So when when Pike kept his mind filled with hate and he was and he was choking the Talosian, it still. So the Talosian couldn't expect what he was going to do. But still, right. the, the beastly uh, figure he turned into, uh, you know, Pike still saw the projection. Right. And he still couldn't see the, the, the hole in the wall that he blasted with the phaser. Right. I completely no, agree with they, you. They let him. That's all good points. All good points. So in that case, the Talosians still should be able to mask their presence even if they can't read the Jem'Hadar's minds and at this point who cares if you can read the the Jem'Hadar's minds okay so they could still project well so they could still hide themselves but could they still fool the Jem'Hadar into shooting each other I don't know whatever I guess I'm thinking too much
0: yeah you just gotta go with it but that's what I was thinking the whole time
1: yeah Anyway, on to other insol- insolvable issues. I like the phaser rifle Pike is carrying around. Very retro. Very retro, but it's not Kirk's phaser rifle, which I find very interesting. And it that makes have sense. The big lens on the end. Well, well, okay. So it's got two coils instead of three. So Kirk's phaser rifle had um, had two coils or three coils in it. Which I think actually you had to switch the coils uh, to make it uh, stun or kill. I think that's how it worked because it rotates mm. anyway oh, so, it? so yeah, well, Spock actually does it in, uh, in where no man has gone before. He oh. actually rotates the uh, as, as he's messing around with the rifle that he had him beam down.
0: yeah
1: yeah he actually... I'll have to rewatch that. He actually uh moves that, and indeed my prop uh, phaser rifle does that too no that and that's the only difference that I can see because he's got the little dish at the end, the little you know the little oh, little, little thingy smaller. sticking out the front yeah, at least I see it on the cover, okay, so maybe it's yeah. shorter, maybe it's shorter, yeah, but it's still but got anyway. the little thing sticking out the front with a little dish at the at the tip, so but you'll notice that it's it's flatter. And it's got only two coils in it. Yeah, so I
0: thought, uh, to be honest, I never noticed the coils, but but I knew that you liked that gun. So. Oh, I know all about it. Oh, my friend. So maybe this is the uh, the Pike-era rifle,
1: and then exactly. when Kirk took control, the, they added the extra coil. Exactly. So that's what I like about it. it. It makes sense that it isn't exactly Kirk's phaser rifle, in the same way that Pike's phaser... Is not is not the same as Kirk's phaser. Right. Although I will say, right. Although I will say the um, the phaser rifle looks a lot closer than the hand weapons. Anyway, I thought that was a nice touch. I think they put some thought into that, which I like.
0: So, do you think that his crippled body is running around the surface? like he is or is his body just somewhere else on the planet and this is just a projection
1: of his body That's a really good point. That is a really good point. Now if he is just a projection what the, why does he have a rifle? That doesn't make any sense. I mean he he looks cooler, I'll say that. But he can't be running around. He's in a he's in a wheelchair. Now the wheelchair can move around, but a lot not very fast. But right. And he's sneaking up on people and Exactly, but has he actually? Okay, but has he actually shot anybody or come into physical contact with anybody in this issue? I think it's mostly the cadets that are doing the fighting, right?
0: Mm,
1: yeah, I just thumped through, and he,
0: he never does anything but hold it. Hold it.
1: Oh, the rifle. Hold the, hold the rifle, right? Right. Yeah. I I think you bring up a good point. He's probably not able to do anything because physically he's, you know, he's a lump in a chair.
0: Right, but I mean, we we had the same comments when we did the the Pike era stuff. When yeah, you know, it shows him like rebuilding the surface of Talos IV with those exactly. robots, and we we had the same question about you know, is he really sawing those logs, or is it just an illusion that he's having
1: logs sawed, logs sawed? It must, yeah, right. And again, yeah, I, so. I think we came to the conclusion it must be an illusion, because how could he physically do that? Right. And it made a lot more sense that the robots were actually building things.
0: Right. Anyways, it becomes really murky on what's real and what's not. Yeah. I just wish that his his wife or whatever she ended up being was was in this issue somewhere.
1: Yeah, or they said something about her. Right. Because that is a really good point. Well, I don't know about you... But I'm starting to get really annoyed how Trill's hair is perpetually hanging over her left eye. Oh, that's cute. That no it isn't cute. It's stupid. <laughs> doesn't she want to have both doesn't she want to see out of both eyes? I mean, look at her towards the end. She's no. like a she's like a shaggy dog with with the hair over the eyes. How can you see anything? Okay, so she got the one eye she can see, but you know, depth perception not too good wouldn't want you to f- to drive the car. Anyway,
0: <laughs> oh, it's—I still say it's cute. Well, Physical, it's maybe not, but cute,
1: yes. Well, it's cute, and they're obviously trying to uh, appeal to the rebellious young readers. But really, right. does that does whacked, unrealistic hairstyles really help the young readers to relate to these characters? I say no, but whatever. I mean, I think, I'm sur- I'm surprised that uh, Noggin Deckers. Pants are riding so low that you can see their underwear and butt crack if that's what they're doing
0: That's a little before that 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 style happened a little after this book came Oh
1: out. don't ruin my analogy with <laughs> with facts, my friend anyway I thought it's uh anyway I'm just getting kind of annoyed with it and in and and in this issue in particular it's like they're always anyway. Just my comment. It grinds my gears.
0: So, speaking of grinding your gears, uh, mm-hmm. what did you think about the cameo of um, Camila? Oh, what? It's a holodeck thing. Yeah, I eh. thought you might like that because I thought uh, you seem to have taken
1: her death a little harder than I have. Well, not that hard. I mean, I thought she was a good character. Right. Now, I, I, I think it's kind of, well... I mean, it kind of harkens back to how red shirts die all the time. It's kind of like somebody dies to prove the situation is serious. So that's kind of like what Camila's death was. Uh, you know, something... Kill one of the lead characters to prove how uh, serious this, these stories are. You never know what's mm-hmm. going to happen. You can even have a main character killed off. Um, But, uh, yeah, I thought she was a good character. I'm sorry she went.
0: Yeah, I I liked her in that holodeck scene. I just didn't like that holodeck scene in that he's literally beating himself up. And then she shows up and (laughs) says, you programmed me to stop you when
1: you're beating yourself up too hard. Yeah, when you start losing control, whatever. Getting too emotional. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought the whole idea of him literally beating himself up was a little over the top. <laughs> Although it is kind of interesting. I mean, you literally are beating yourself up using a hollow deck. I guess there are so many possibilities with hollow decks. I never thought of that one. Right? Yeah, you could, you could do any of your fantasies. I know. Hmm. Could be some pretty warped things going on. Which. They kind of allude to. I mean that romance that Riker was having with that holodeck chick. Right. It's like and of course everything they're insinuating with Nogs Hollow sweets or whatever they call them, It's Nog's like Nogs or Quarks. Oh quarks, sorry. Right. Quarks hollow sweets or whatever. It's yeah. like mmm. I don't know if I'd want to walk around that that hollow suite. <laughs> well, definitely you want shoes on. It's like, yeah. <laughs> anyway,
0: Anyways, um, all right, so on another note uh, about Pike, I have two more comments, and they both revolve Pike. Uh, First one, they always refer to him as Captain Pike, but at the time that, uh, in the menagerie that he he left,
1: he was Commodore Pike. Yeah. Yep. So I I thought that was a little weird. Yeah, because you think the kids, I mean, he might have been more famous as Captain Pike, but that is the last thing he was when he went back to Talos Four. I agree with you. Good point.
0: And when I, I, I did not it, even think about that. But when they're doing the, uh, you know, the the codes, oh, these these codes belong to, you know, they're looking it up on the computer, Commodore Pike or ca- Captain Pike. Yeah, the I, computer would have had him listed as Commodore, unless they bumped down the Captain.
1: But why would when they, they do that?
0: They dropped him off Talos for. Why would they do that? They wouldn't do that. They wouldn't. That makes no sense. No. And then my last comment in regards to Pike is: How does he know? Spock is still alive
1: to send out this mental request for Spock to return well he doesn't know for sure but I I think he thinks that Spock is the only he may be the the only telepath he knows of um, and also the only who also happens to be the only guy whose species has a long enough lifespan that might still be around at this point
0: right And maybe the Talosians still have a connection with Spock Spock since they sent him all those videotapes in the Menagerie. (laughs) Oh, right. And got him to go to Talos for to begin
1: with. That's right. Now remember, Spock, be kind, rewind. (laughs) Yeah. But it does make sense. It makes a lot more sense that Pike thought that Spock was going to get the message rather than Adam. He has no idea. They'd have no idea about Adam. So, which also has the thread that Spock is on his way to Talos Four also. So, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, how Spock gets involved. Yeah. No, that'll be good. Yeah.
0: And maybe he can sniff out to Pril's
1: lie or her, whatever her true purpose is. Maybe, but he. She will not be his main focus. Obviously, the uh, Hadar will. However, good point. Another thing is, what's what's Pradesh doing? Yeah, Who,
0: uh, well, the, he's,
1: he's going to show up. Oh, I think he is too. He he knows where they're going. He's meeting with the his deans, and Starfleet itself knows about it. So there's the uh, some. Some Starfleet contingent is going to show up at the planet too. Whether it's a single ship or more is going on, don't know yet. But that's right. another card that has yet to be played. It might be a certain Enterprise E. <laughs> 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 well, that would be cool if we're going to bring Picard into it. But
0: well, he has to get involved at some point because he's in the he's in the
1: telepathy war. Oh, is he? Yeah, that's one of the issues. Oh. Okay so how big a crossover is this? Voyager every single, every single book
0: they had uh, that was at this time in that time frame yeah so well not Taz not Taz but okay. you know how they have Starfleet or Star Trek unlimited that yep. has the Taz yep. and the so that issue is just next generation all the way through and it's
1: i think it's like chapter 4 of the story. Huh. Okay now I'm getting more interested in this. Even more right.
0: interested in this. Cool. So Deep Space Nine has like two issues Starfleet Academy has one official issue But it has quite a few issues leading up to it like this one um, And then Voyager and um, Starfleet Or the Star Trek
1: Unlimited all have issues hmm. Cool Well, yeah. DS9 being involved is the one that makes the most sense Yeah, now that I know that the Geminar and R play a big part Exactly so,
0: okay. Anyways, all right. And then my last, last, last comment is Star Wars reference, where all the telepaths suddenly feel the deaths of thousands of people.
1: Oh, <laughs> I was like, hey,
0: Obi Wan said that too.
1: Yeah, I uh, didn't get that reference, but now that you mention it, I I agree. All right. What else you got? That's it. I'm done. Okay. All right.
0: Well, like I mentioned earlier, next week is a shorter week because uh, we're only going to do two issues, and that will be Deep Space Nine, 10, and 11. Cool. So it should be fun and okay. Short.
1: Yes. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us on this episode. See you next time on The Review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at star t comic book review at gmail.com. Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at First Name ST Comic Second Name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.